I'm going to read from Job, the first chapter. Job, the first chapter. In verse 1 it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect, meaning he was complete in the righteousness of God because this man would sacrifice and knew that he needed that substitute that that is Christ. So that man was complete, and as a result, he was upright, meaning he could stand before God in the perfection of the righteousness that he did not earn, but that he received. And he was one that feared, in other words, feared, he had a reverence and an awe for God. And he eschewed, or he completely separated himself as far as he could see from evil. So we see even back here, many believe this was many, many, many years ago. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance, his substance, his cattle, and cattle back then, you see in Psalm 50, verse 10, where God has made it clear that he has a cattle on a thousand hills. So cattle spoke of great wealth. And his cattle, his substance, was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, oxen, and 500 she-asses, or female uh, donkeys, and a very great household. He had a huge, great household. And so <clears throat> that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. Think about that. That's what God said about him. He was the greatest of all. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. And Job rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings. Okay, and the burnt offering, as we know in the scriptures, this is brought out clearly in the book of Leviticus, especially in the first chapter and then all through, the burnt offering. And the burnt offering had to do, as we have learned through the scriptures in Genesis 22 and verse 8, it was that that Christ the Father, uh, God the Father and Christ the Son went up and they dealt with the sin issue. This was not paying for personal sins. First and foremost in propitiation, there had to be a payment for the sin question, and that was fulfilled in John 1 and verse 29, where it says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, dealing with the whole sin thing. And that involved even, not in terms of salvation for angels, but it dealt with the whole conflict. And so, he rose up early in the morning and he offered these burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, their minds and emotions. Thus did Job continually. He did it on a very consistent basis. Okay? Now we know from this, by the time we reach in Job's trial that he had, starting right here and all the way through, he had an, everything that he went through was nine months, approximately nine months, all that that he went through. It was to bring him to the place where God could show him in Job 32, 1 and 2, that all the while 
while he forgot to offer for him his son uh, for himself. He offered for his children, but he didn't get up and offer offer that sacrifice for himself. And that could be what happens at times with believers who function in the flesh. They they don't they feel that they've arrived and they don't have to offer and continually offer in thanks in Hebrews 13 verse 15 that worshipful thank offering uh, to to uh, God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he didn't do it. And we also said too and th- through looking at these scriptures too that in him missing to do it for himself he also missed it to do it for his wife because in marriage you're one. So when the husband, the initiator, forgets himself, then there's no proper initiation to the wife who's a responder. And so that's why eventually she told Job in Job 2 verse 9, curse God and die. (laughs) So let him get in a a place where you live in such sin that he has to eliminate, take you home. (laughs) Curse him and die. And of course he called her a foolish woman in 2.10 of Job. At least he knew that much. But again, here, he was offering the sacrifices for his children. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now we know through the scriptures and through this context that sons of God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, were angels. They were angels. We don't become sons of God, and no one did until Christ was crucified, rose from the dead, and began to form the church in Acts, the second chapter. Then we became, based upon Romans 8, 15 and 16, and Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we became sons of God in the most intimate relationship. But here, they were angels. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So what this is bringing out is, is that angels in Psalm 104 and verse 4, and and is brought out again in so many other scriptures, but also in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, we can see very clearly that angels were given specific tasks in their operation, the, un, the unfallen angels would get, were given their specific tasks to function in. Then they would come and, and bring back their reports to God. And this is what this is bringing out. But what do we see? And Satan came also with them. He came with them. He came among them. And even here, Satan, right? The Hebrew says, and the adversary, Notice this, the adversary, and if you're an adversary, one who's an adversary functions as an opponent or one who opposes. And so we know from the scriptures that Satan, since we are in Christ and Christ is God, that he opposes, he opposes himself just like the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 8, he as an, as an adversary, opposes God. And because Christ has won us to God through himself, does he oppose us and he's our, our adversary? And he is. <clears throat> so we can see here that Satan, the adversary, also came among them and with them. And the Lord said unto Satan, where 
did you come from? Notice, he said, where did you come from? Now, we can clearly see from this context in the scriptures that God himself instigated this whole thing. It wasn't Satan. God instigated it. We see why in the finality of it in Job the 42nd chapter, why God did instigate and did use Satan to bring Job to a place where he could face God. Now, <clears throat> and that's what he does and allows in our life. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, us that are in Christ and this dispensation of grace, the church age, that's why we know that all things are for our sake. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15, that the abundant grace that we have might redound or become secular and return right to God. And how does it? Through our thankfulness. Through our obedience, we return his love. That's what our obedience is. We just return his love to him. And oh, how the righteous Lord loves righteousness in Psalm 11 and verse 7. And the righteousness that we are, and he's made us in Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. <clears throat> and the Lord, so the Lord said unto Satan, the adversary, the opponent, where did you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and from in the earth. Notice that? The earth. Why does it say that? Do you ever wonder why? I'll tell you. Because I believe with scriptures and, and through the preponderance of studies in the scriptures, by the pure grace of God and leading of the only theologian and scholar, God the Holy Spirit, how that this earth was once Satan's that he lost as a result of the fall. The earth stratosphere and all of that reveals it. Reveals it very clearly. You can see that in Genesis chapter one and, and verses one and two. So in Genesis verse one and chapter one and verse one, it says, and in the beginning, God created the earth. Now would God create anything that would be chaotic and confusing? We know in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, that God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Life and peace. Now, Christ is our life in Colossians 3, 4. He's our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. He is. So God, Christ, our creator, and by the way, Christ created everything. The, the Son. Christ, the Son of God, created everything. That's brought out in John 1, verse 3, and Colossians 1 and verse 16. This is crystal clear. He created that earth, for Lucifer, and remember, he was Lucifer, and we know that God didn't create evil. Evil came from Satan. He didn't create Satan. He created Lucifer, okay? And he created him with a free will. And so it says then, where are you coming from? From going to and from the earth. See, he wanted to gain back control of the earth through trying to gain control of Adam and Eve and we know, now remember, in John, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the earth. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and chaotic. Was it chaos? Would God do that? No. The Bible reveals a fall in Isaiah 14, 9 to 17, and Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. And then the withdrawal of God from the earth when Satan fell, 
the, uh, the earth actually froze and was in an, in an ice pack, and that's brought out in, Je- in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 23. And that's why when the, when the Holy Spirit came, <clears throat> we see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, and began to brood, and it's like the picture of a hen on its eggs hatching it. And so the light comes and begins to unfreeze the earth, and began to recreate that specific place, the Garden of Eden, for Adam and Eve. All of this is brought out in the scriptures, but we have to take the preponderance of all the scriptures to come up with a proper, um, a proper uh, a frame of reference. So, and then we can function properly in, in different points of, of that one reference. So the Lord said unto Satan, where did you come from? He said, from going up to, the, to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. As I studied this this morning and I read it, <clears throat> and, and again, God was counseling me in my own uh, believer priesthood privacy like he does with all of us through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice he was walking down in and of it. Who is he? As he's walking down, as he's walking to and fro the, uh, to and from the earth, in, it says in it, right? Walking in it, up and down. When he's doing that, how is he doing his walking up and down? Who is he? He's an adversary, an opponent. He's against us. He's against us. Never saw it this way till this morning. But it's, he walks up. Where is our position located? It's in the heavens. The book of Ephesians brings it out clearly, especially all the way through the book, by the way, of Ephesians. It brings out our heavenly position. And so he walks and he accuses, in Revelations 12 and verse 10, he accuses the brethren, we've, and we've been taught by the scriptures, the reason he accuses the brethren, and the reason there's even an accusation against us is because Christ is in us. And Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews 2.11. He's not. There's no shame because his life that he's, he's given to us as individuals Is there any accusation or shame or guilt and condemnation in Christ having already dealt with us on the cross? No. None whatsoever. So, but what does he do? If he can't deceive me in Revelations 12, 9, then I function in Christ, what will he do? He'll accuse us. That's up. He walks as an opponent and an adversary and an adversary and opponent against our position in Christ. And when we function in it, he accuses accuses us. And he doesn't have to accuse us when he deceives us. (laughs) And we can. And we know in Obadiah, verse 3, that he deceives us through pride. We know in Proverbs 16, 18, Okay, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a what? A fall. And so then there's the up. And then, so the up is our position in Christ. And then down, when we're down, he comes after us and accuses us with guilt and condemnation when we function down. And where's the down part? That's the flesh. 
That's what he does with us. And we know this, not like even Job could know it, but we have the fullness of the preponderance of all the scriptures, especially the truth about who we are in Christ is brought out in the epistles that Christ, the risen heavenly Christ, gave the apostle Paul to give to us. And so we see that he's walking up and down to up and down in the earth. Right in the earth. He's seeking to gain dominion again. And did he through the fall? Yeah. But who won the victory for us? That's why it says, and it's very important for us, in 1 John 2 and verse 6, where it says this, and I want to read this, and this is what makes these, these, the scriptures to be so important. In 1 John 2, and in verse 6, it says, it says, He that says he abides in Christ ought himself also so to walk. Notice that? To walk even as he walked. How did Christ walk? In the perfection of who he was. And that perfection is based upon that love that won us on Calvary is that that we are to walk in. That brings out the beauty of this, these scriptures and there's many more. But in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we see very, very clearly it says here, then be you who's you, that's all of us that are in Christ that make up the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, we are his bride, Revelations 19, 7 and 9. We are his body, flesh and bone in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. And we are his church, his church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. But it says in Ephesians 5 and verse 1, Be you therefore followers of God as dearly, dearly beloved children. Look what it says, and walk in love. And when we don't walk in love, then what do we walk in? The only other source that we can walk in is the accuser of the brethren. Revelations 12.10, the accuser, the opponent, the adversary. And when I don't understand the depth, nature, character, and essence of God and his love for us, and when I don't understand that, even though it is mine, being positioned in Christ, which is my proper place and my proper image, then my experience will not be the measure of my position in Christ. And so we see here that we are to walk in love as Christ also has, past tense and forever, loves us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Notice that? So here, back to Job, back to Job. So the Lord said in Job 1, verse 7, Satan, hey, opponent, adversary, evil one. He's the evil one. In 1 John 5, 18, notice when it says in 1 John 5, 18, the wicked one touches us not. What does that speak of? Opposition. He can't touch he can't change, he can't do away with, he can't touch our position in Christ that Christ himself has won for us. He can't touch it. That's why the Bible teaches us that even sin does not touch my relationship with God. Nothing can change it, but does it affect 
my experiential intimacy and fellowship in that exchange with him. And we know of yes that it does. It does. And so what do we see here? We see here that the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Who's instigating this whole thing? God. He's initiating the whole thing. It's better said to initiate. Instigate this a little, you know, there can be a little, as we understand the English word, it can be, you know, something tricky or something cunning or deceitful. Here, God initiates this whole thing. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, look what he says, that there is none like him in the earth in terms of that righteousness that he did have. He's perfect, he's complete, and as a result, he's upright in his standing, listen, in his standing and his position before me. But how was Job in his own eyes towards God? That's brought out in Job 32, 1 and 2. He took the righteousness that was only given to him by grace and unconditional love and amazing mercy by God through Christ in the type as his faith would look forward to Christ who would eventually come in Galatians 4, 4 in Luke 1 and verse 35, considered it to be his own self-righteousness. And in his own self-righteousness, he began to justify himself and not God. And we know what justification means. We have been been cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And when I don't, as a believer in Christ, don't function in my position, who I am in Christ, with a proper experience, the only place I can go is back to the flesh. And when I live in the flesh, guess what I do? I blame God for everything, ultimately. Why? I continue to justify myself. (laughs) Meaning, I make God guilty. And I condemn God. Why did you allow this? Why are you doing this? Why this? Why that? That's what happens. Even the word blaspheme literally means to blame God, to hold him guilty, to attribute evil to him. God Almighty. That's the flesh. Thank God that's in us, but that we're not of. And again, we stress it and will as as much as God brings it back to our remembrance. In Romans 8, 9, we have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. And those words in and of are loaded with substantial meaning. Very substantial. And if God's essence is involved, which is his nature character, which is his essence, then it's very essential then for us to know God, isn't it? And very necessary. Have you considered my servant Job, 1.8, that there is none like him in the earth, a complete and upright man, one that does, does reverence God in, in, his, in that sense, eschew evil? Yeah. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, huh, what, Job doesn't, he, what, is, what does he have to fear from you? What does, you have, what does he have to fear? You've made in 110 a hedge about him and his house and about all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands yeah? and his substance, all his wealth. Everything about him is increased in the land. But put forth your hand. Listen to this. God Almighty. Why does God allow pain in our life? Why? Pain, things that we go through. 
Why do we think it's so strange in 1 Peter 4.12 that God won't use pain to try us, to test us, our, to test our complete, complete and utter dependence upon him? Why do we think that's so strange? Knowing that the trial of our faith, even in 1 Peter 1 and verse 7, is much more precious than gold. We see that, that that's what God was bringing out and he still had to finish it in Job, in Job 23 and verse 10. He said, though he try me, I'll come forth as gold. And that is the work of Christ himself in him. The work of Christ himself in him. That's gold speaks of the deity of Christ. And when he became man and put on tabernacle himself and put on humanity in, in John 1 and verse 14, there's where he became the redeemer. And silver all through the Bible speaks of redemption. That's why in heaven you never see silver. It's nothing but gold. Even the streets are all paved as, as <laughs> the Holy Spirit was giving these things and Christ was speaking to him from heaven and giving him a vision of what heaven would look like. And that's the only thing he could come out with come up with is what's the most incredible thing on the earth? It's like it's gold, but it's like transparent. It's just beautiful. And the reason there's no silver in heaven is because there's there's no need for redemption. We've already been redeemed and we just walk in, in what Christ has accomplished. That's why it says in Proverbs 25 and verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Isn't that amazing? I just love the word of God and how he brings the truth out like only God the Holy Spirit can. And then he fears you for naught. You've done all this. But put forth in 111 of Job your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you. He will curse you to your face. He will blame you. You watch. He'll blame you. Now, did God use Satan? Did he? Yes. You know what the Bible reveals? It reveals that every... And this is why, and this is explaining the truth. We are in a spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. We are in a spiritual warfare. We don't wrestle against... Flesh and blood, human. We've said this before when you study the book of Ephesians. The type, the type is the book of Joshua. All of, jo all of the enemies of the children of Israel were physical enemies, actuated, obviously, by the power of evil from Satan, yes. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They are earthly people. We are heavenly people. We wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this particular age, against spiritual wickedness in the height. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not flesh and blood, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's why it says casting down imaginations, all these false reasonings, and lies, I mean, false reasonings based upon a lie in John 8, verse 44. God himself in Titus 1, 2, in Hebrews 6, 18, in Numbers 23, verse 19, he doesn't lie. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. When we function in the flesh under the power of the enemy, in our experience, never touching our position, obviously, then what do we function in? Lies and change our mind. <laughs> we lie or change our mind constantly. 
That's the flesh that's in us, but we're not of it. Thank God we're not of it. We're not. And so we see very, very clearly we don't wrestle again. Their enemies, and notice their enemies. They had skirmishes on their way to the promised land. They did. They had Amalek. You'll see that in the 17th chapter of Exodus. They had Amalek. Isn't it interesting? God would bless us. God gives us these tremendous blessings, doesn't he? He'll give us the word and incredible fellowship. And almost right on the heels of that, in comes all the negativity. That's Amalek. They were refreshed at Rephidim. They were refreshed with the refreshing waters. And as soon as we take in the waters of the word, boy, the enemy's just waiting waiting for a place in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Give no place to the devil. Topos, it's the Greek in T-O-P-O-S. Don't give him even a little place. And that little place is that lack of obedience and submission of the will to Christ, to God, to Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's just looking for that. This is what makes it so necessary for us this morning so extremely necessary for us to do just what these scriptures say because we have an enemy. We have it. And I'll read these scriptures as God, the Holy Spirit, brings them uh, to the forefront of our memory. And when he does, it's always placing us in a proper image before Christ, but it still takes the power of the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Peter 5, In verse 6, it says, humble yourselves. Be humble. That's really what the Greek is saying, by the way. When it says, humble yourselves. Now, if there's a need of of humility, that means there's something in the flesh that needs to be humbled. So would God rely on our flesh to do that? No. That's why it says here, be humbled. Be humbled, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, in due time. See, the enemy, when, when he, just like he did with Abraham and, and, and Sarah, they couldn't wait for the promised child. What did they do? They couldn't wait. They weren't patient while love would do what only it could do. And that's why when we pray, we need to trust God that he's heard those prayers, even when the enemy would come in and say he hasn't heard them. That's based upon Daniel, the 10th chapter, and those first 13 verses. Remember Daniel prayed? And there was a delay because of spiritual warfare for 21 days. Spiritual warfare. We need to be patient in the end. This is why the enemy will give people counsel, Christians counsel. You need to change. You need to change your place, your location. You need to do this. Why? Because What is it about love that instructs us? It's patience. We need to be patient and wait and wait upon him because they that wait upon the Lord, what do they do in Isaiah 40 and verse 31? Their strength gets renewed. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. That's his prayer life. Lifts us up above everything. Notice the eagle. The eagle is the bird. It's the only bird that can look directly right into the full sun and not be not be moved. And the son, obviously, in that type, speaks of trials. And when we have his vision, and it lifts us up, where we can look right at those trials with the wings of a prayer life. In Luke 18, one, men should always pray 
result and not turn in coward towards evil. When we turn away from, from Christ, what do we turn to? Evil. And it's evil effects, the power of evil. We talked about uh, the power of reckoning and then the power of a proper confession. And it has to do with the two powers, the power of evil and the power of the good that Christ is. Humble yourselves. Be humbled under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Is anything too hard for God in Genesis 18 and verse 14? Anything too hard for God? No. But the promise that he gave to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah and her doubt and mocking, and that's what we do in the flesh. We mock and doubt. We do. Thank God it's not who we are. He came to her and said, is anything too hard for God? I tell you what, is, is, what is too hard for us in the flesh? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Is that, but is, he doesn't ask us, is anything too hard for you? He says, is anything too hard for God? He's pointing to proper source. He's pointing to the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that's in the vessel. When the vessel is weak, what should it do? Turn to itself? Inward? Or turn to the treasure. Is anything too hard for God in Genesis 18, verse 14? No, but it will return unto you at God's appointed time, his set time. And Sarah will have a son. She'll experience life. When we turn away from the deadness of the flesh, we turn to Christ, what do we experience? The life that he is right in our weak, frail vessel. Humble yourselves. Be humble, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Then when you do, you will cast all your anxiety, all your care upon him. All of it. All of it. The Greek says, literally, all of it at once. I want you to think of every single thing that could cause you anxiety and fear. Think of it all, all of it. And for once and for all, take it and cast it on him. Psalm 55 and in verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he'll sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Again, in 1 Peter 5, 7. Because why should we do that? Be sober. Think clearly. We don't think clearly at all trying to deal with things in the flesh. We have no clear, precise vision. We don't. We lose the vision of who we are in Christ in a proper image. In a millisecond, we do. The easiest thing to do, God has taught us, and we've said, is to forget God quickly. The moment we forget God, that's the place in Ephesians 4, verse 27, we give to the devil. That's why ignorance can be just as, just as dangerous as outright rebellion and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23 because ignorance, we can be ignorant and if we're not taught, the only thing properly, the only thing we can function in is the flesh. Well, be sober, be clear thinking, be vigilant. That's what causes us to be vigilant and watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, and you have a personal adversary, and he has an invisible army that you can't even number coming against you. But we have God for us, right? In Romans 8, 31 through 39. If God for us, does it even matter who's against us? 
He's for us in Psalm 56, verse 9. When my enemies come in and against me, when they come against me, I'll cry unto God, for this I know, God is for me. He's for me. And no weapon that's formed against us will prosper in Isaiah 54 and verse 17. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, not if, but when he comes in like a flood, it's the place we give him in Isaiah 59, 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And who's our standard? It's Christ. He's our righteousness. He's our all in Colossians 3 and verse 11. So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, and I want to, today is... Tuesday, and we were going to meet at 8 this morning, but we met at 7. Giving Jody L something he's going to take out, because I love him so much, and he doesn't have enough to do. <laughs> Being a dad, business owner, and you know everything else going on. Isn't that precious? <laughs> we're so thankful for him, though. I mean it, too, and his gifts and his laid-down life. It's, it's amazing to see in a uh, in a young man of 25 years of age, for the work that God's doing, and an older brother too, 27-year-old. Gabe, we call him the angel. Why? Be sober, be vigilant, because you have an adversary, the devil. The devil. He knows our weaknesses better than we do. He knows our sins, past, present. He does past and present, those issues, he knows it far better than we do. And boy, he gets his, his associates, his demons to go out and do his bidding as an adversary and opponent. Because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion. Well, the, the original says he is a fierce, roaring lion seeking whom he may slaughter. He doesn't want to just swallow us down with the details of life that's brought out in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in those 34 verses. He wants to rip us to shreds and then swallow us down. He wants to play with us. That's brought out in 1 John 5, verse 19. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. It's like a picture of a lion they don't want to just kill its prey. He wants to torture it and play with it for a while. That's what he wants to do with Christians in the flesh. Literally. The evil one. He doesn't touch opposition. Goes after the experience. Whom resist, steadfast, immovable in the faith. What does that mean? And we're going to close very soon. What does that mean? Resist. See? Whom resist, steadfast in the faith. That's James 5, uh, uh, first, uh, where am I here in my brain? That's James 4, verse 6. God resists the proud, but, contrast and conjunction, right? Contrast and separation, conjunction. God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace, my zona Karin, greater grace to those that have been humbled. Therefore, submit yourself to God. And that's what he does. He gives us the grace to do so because we can't do it ourselves. Resist eh? the grace of God, right? and then submit yourself to God. Then you resist the devil. Who's doing the resisting in us? It's Christ. And then he'll flee from you. Then you can draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Then you can cleanse your hands, you sinners, and you can purify your minds from all that false reasonings. Right? 
Whom resist steadfast in the faith. The faith is all those truths about what we're taught about. The person of Christ and what he has accomplished to God in propitiation and for us as our substitute who's reconciled us to God by himself and himself alone as is brought out in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And so finally today, we need to be very watchful. I'll just read these scriptures and then we're going to share on these. Thursday and Friday. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians, this is what makes it necessary. In 1 Timothy 2.8, men that are initiators, men. Because when it says in 1 Timothy 2.8, I, I wish that men everywhere would lift up holy hands. It's not anthropos, men and women. It's on air, it's males. I wish that men, men, would lift up holy hands, and that speaks of a proper experience in dealing with issues, right? Lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting, because where do we have wrath and doubting? That's in the flesh. Lift up holy hands. Men need to pray. Men do. Leaders in Acts 6, 4, in Luke 18, verse 1, and Romans 12 and verse 12, instant continuous dependence, and that's what prayer teaches us, constant dependence so we don't give place to the evil one. And so, again, here, we'll just read these and then we'll close. And, and uh, here, at this particular time of the morning, when we met, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 says, watch you. We're going to get into this word Thursday and Friday. Watch you. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Again, the faith is all those teachings about the person of Christ and what he's accomplished. Right? Watch you, quit like men, stand like men, stay, be steadfast, quit like men, be strong. How? In the grace that's in Christ Jesus in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, in Joel 3 and verse 10. Right? And then when I do, let everything that we do will be done in what? Love, not charity, love. We'll live the freest life that there is. It's called a self-sacrificial love. A self-sacrificial love. We, we esteem others in Philippians 2, 3 better than ourselves. We don't look on our own things, just our own things, but on the things of others in, in 2, 4. Because all seek their own, majority in Philippians 2 and verse 21, not the things that are Christ's. Not the things that are Christ's. What would cause them and individuals, Christians, to not seek the things of Christ because it would be the things of the world in 1 John 2 and verse 15. But thank God, as we close with this verse, and we're going to get into that word watch in a very precise way, but this is what it's teaching us, and this is where God would teach us with this truth for us. This is Jude, this is Jude, verse 18 through 21. This is Jude 18. It says, How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. Who's a marker? Could be unsaved, could be a Christian functioning in the flesh. But it's usually the unsaved and the, the enemy, the demonic force actuating them, this mock, mocking towards us. There should be mockers in the last time. Here's Jude. How long ago was Jude written? And he, they considered it last time. 
then how short is the time that we're in right now? In 1 Corinthians 7, 29. There should be mockers in the last time, watch, who, will walk, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Can a Christian who's in Christ, positioned in them, in their experience, walk after their, those same lustly patterns that they did? When we don't go forward, what do we do? Is there any neutrality? No, we go right back to those lusts again. And those lusts function under the power of evil. We know that clearly through the scriptures. There, verse 19, these be they who separate themselves from God, living a separate life to themselves. That's brought out in, in Romans 1, 18 to 32. Watch that whole lifestyle there. Right? These be those who separate themselves, the sensual. This is not just sexual sins. It's not just that. That's James 1. You'll see that in James 1, verses 15 to 18. Sensuality, they just live for themselves on the earth. They just live for themselves on the earth. Having not the spirit, right? Not the spirit. Those that aren't, those that aren't Christ and aren't born again don't have the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. But here, separated from all that, and here's the contrast. But you, beloved, who are we? We're beloved. God loves us. What? At all times? Yes. Even when we're in the flesh? Yeah. Because does he love us and who we are in the flesh or who he's made us to be in his son? He always loves us. Never a time he doesn't. We've been accepted in the beloved in Ephesians 1.6. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Christ, praying then in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in what? in the love of God, walking in that love in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking then for the mercy of our Lord, and that brings out Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We have a high priest who's been touched by everything we've ever gone through, and he's on a throne, and God is on a throne, and giving us grace, that throne of grace, to find mercy right in the nick of time. Remember what mercy is. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve to get so that we can function in grace, functioning in things that we don't deserve to get. But in mercy is not God not giving us the things that we do deserve to get because he dealt with them on Christ. Dealt with them. On Christ on, Christ on Calvary, in Christ on Calvary. Keeping yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto and because of eternal life. Father, thank you for this time uh, this morning through your word. Thank you for it. And your timing is perfect. Thank you for it, Father. And your timing is as important as your provision. And you're giving us this provision even now in the anticipation of your love in that provenient grace that still allows, that you've made available to us, even in the future, right now, presently, in the future, that my will can submit to and then function in. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We love you and thank you for your precious Son. Thank you for you, God, your precious Son, God, the Holy Spirit, our teacher in 1 John 2, 20 and 27. Thank you, Lord, and for the body of Christ in each individual. In Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.